So catechism class, picking up where we were last time, we talked about we talked about um, Jacob, Jacob the deceiver, figuratively he who grasps the heel, uh, Jacob the twin to Esau, and there's that family strife again that we just talked about, um, where Isaac and Rebecca knew that that the younger that Jacob was supposed to. Um, be served by the older, and yet Isaac tries to give the blessing to Esau. And rather than trusting God to work it out, Rebekah and Jacob take matters into their own hands, and they trick Isaac. So hopefully your memory work is going along well. If you don't have the packet of cards, I've got a few more here. I know that I haven't had opportunity to distribute all of them, um, but if you'll be here on Christmas Eve, I can get them to you then. Otherwise, we'll get them to you after. <laughs> uh, so from last time, um, I think that was pretty much everything. Our key questions, uh, letter A, what problems did Isaac's and Rebecca's lack of trust in God's promises cause? Both Isaac and Rebecca tried to deceive each other. Esau wanted to kill Jacob. Jacob had to run away. And letter B. Um, how did God renew for Jacob the promises that he had made to Abraham? God spoke to Abraham in a dream and promised the same things that he had promised to Abraham. All right, so today, uh, picking it up in Lesson 8, continuing with the patriarchs, and here we see um, Jacob's favoritism, that the family strife that, you know, dated back to the struggle within the womb... <laughs> That family strife plays out as Jacob ends up marrying Leah, and then Jacob marries Rachel, and then there's competition between the two sisters to try to provide babies for Jacob, and so they bring in Bilhah and Zilpah as, um, as concubines, <laughs> or as women who would also be married, but in a secondary way. They wouldn't have the same privileges, like they wouldn't be able to inherit property or something like that. Um, and it ends up that during his time there with Uncle Laban, who you might recall is Rebecca's brother, during the time with Uncle Laban, um, Jacob ends up having, uh, Jacob and his wives end up having, having like 11 kids, um, 10 or 11 kids, and then they, and then they come back. So that's the big overview, and we'll begin at the top of, um, top of Lesson 8. Uh, Jacob fled to his mother's home, family home, and eventually married two wives who were sisters. Jacob loved Rachel, but despised Leah. God saw Leah's grief and gave her many children. Rachel had very few. As a result, Jacob showed favoritism to the children that Rachel had. The children names, children's names were Joseph and Benjamin. And that favoritism caused more than its share of trouble. If you're looking at the timeline, um, this is right around 1900, 1,900 years before Christ. Uh, so Genesis chapter 37 is where we are at, where we are beginning today. Genesis 37. You can follow along in your Bible. Hopefully you have one. And... Um, Maybe you have found it already. 
All right, Genesis 37, and what we'll see uh, the two bullet points there from your workbook, that Jacob looked with great favor on Joseph and treated him better than his other sons. At, at the time, Joseph was the only son that Rachel had given birth to. Um, and then jealousy led Joseph's brothers to do the unthinkable, first leaving him to die and then selling him into slavery. Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob, or the account of the family after Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. So time out. You know, Joseph is 17 years old, um, and all of these brothers, half-brothers, um, are all, you know, watching after the flocks, and then Joseph, the 17-year-old young man, runs and tells on them. And that doesn't turn out well in his favor. Verse 3, now Israel, that's the, name of, the other name of, of Jacob, uh, Israel. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had born to, been born to him in his old age. And Jacob made a richly ornamented robe for him or a coat of many colors, if you're familiar with that phrasing. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright, while your sheaves bowed down and gathered round mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And maybe in the way I read it, and I think there's some implication here, that Joseph, um, he's seen the favoritism for quite a few years now, over a decade for sure. And he's a little arrogant. Anyway, verse 12, now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel, Jacob, said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent, then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him, and throw him into one of these cisterns, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. 
When Reuben, that's the oldest of all of them, when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue Joseph from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, that rich, richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And Jacob was the one who said, sent Joseph, right? 17-year-old Joseph. Imagine the guilt that he is feeling and that his brothers or the sons put Jacob through. Anyway, uh, verse 34. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I grow do go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. All right, that is chapter 37. All right, number one. Like father and mother, like son. In what way did Jacob make the same mistake in raising his children that his parents Isaac and Rebekah had? See verse 3. Verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. So in what way? Um, he showed favoritism to that one son, Joseph, over all the rest. Should have learned. Number two, Joseph's dreams did not help the situation. What did his dreams seem to indicate would happen in the future? Looking at verses 5 through 10, that's the dream of the sheaves of grain and the one that he binds up. Um, the others bow down to it. And then the other one where the sun, moon, and stars um, all bow down to him. Um, so it seems to indicate, number two, that Joseph would be in charge of his brothers, that the brothers would all be bowing down to him. Joseph is going to be in charge. 
Number three, Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers who were taking care of the flocks far away. When his brothers saw Joseph coming, what plot did they devise? Looking at verses 19 and 20. 19 and 20. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. What plot? That they're going to kill him. Let's kill Joseph because that's easier. Uh, number four, Reuben, the oldest of the brothers, suggests a different idea. What was his idea? Verse 22, don't shed any blood, throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So a cistern is a big giant hole that, that they would dig. They would line it with clay so that when it rained, they could collect that water and then use that water for watering their flocks or getting water for themselves. And they would you know, put, a, put a cover over it um, to keep it from all evaporating. And, but they would collect it, and it's at that time of the year where the cisterns are all dry, or at least that one was. Maybe it was used up, maybe it was cracked, or maybe it hadn't rained in a while. And Reuben says, let's not kill him. You know, he is, he is our relative. Let's just put him in this well. Or this cistern. Cistern is different from a well. Uh, number five, the arrival of the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites, remember Ishmael? Um, was that first son of Abraham, the son of Abraham and Hagar, um, and then the son of Abraham and Sarah was Isaac. Um, and so the Ishmaelites are, you know, distant relatives, but, you know, we're talking, you know, probably about 100 years removed from the birth of Ishmael, or maybe even longer. I'd have to look it up. Um, anyway, number five, the arrival of the Ishmaelites descended from Abraham's illegitimate son Ishmael when he and Sarah did not trust in God to deliver them a son. The arrival of the Ishmaelites presented a different opportunity. Judah came up with a new plan. Rather than killing Joseph or leaving him for dead in that dried cistern, what, plan did, they, what did they plan to do to Joseph? Looking at verses 26 and 27. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So, Judah's plan, sell him as a slave. Let's just get rid of him. That way we're not killing him, and we'll get a little bit of profit out of it. Number six, Judah said that Selling Joseph into slavery was morally better than killing him. That's verse 27 we just read. Was it? If we were in the business of ranking sin, to say that one sin is better and one sin is worse, then it's, it's good that Joseph wasn't killed, but it's still a sin. It was, and here's, here's the answer we're looking at that it was still a sin against their brother, a sin against their father, and a sin against God. Number seven, how did they cover up what they had done? See verse 31, and of course, uh, feel free to hit pause if you ever need to, or review it and go back. Um, greetings also to those listening on the podcast. Uh, number seven, how did they cover up what they had done? Verse 31, 
Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood. Wow. This is a lot of planning. And then they've got a long walk back with all of their sheep and all of their flocks. And they're working together to keep this covered up for a long time. So number seven, they dipped his robe in blood so that their father would assume that Joseph had been killed by an animal. All they have to do is hold it up and Joseph, Jacob puts one and one together and say, oh my goodness, he must have been eaten by a lion. Something like that. All right, going ahead to chapter 39. And I guess the other, the other thing to mention is if you don't have a workbook, I can uh, get one to you. Um, either here locally, I can leave one at the church for you to pick up, or I can drop one in the mail and uh, it'll arrive at your house um, sometime after Christmas <laughs> or maybe next year, um, early, early January. So Genesis 39, uh, 1 to 23, that's the entire chapter of 39. Joseph's service in Potiphar's house and his imprisonment. This is uh, Joseph was sold there in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. That was the last verse of chapter 37. Chapter 39, uh, the two bullet point summaries. Not long after Joseph arrived in Egypt, he was sold to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar's wife tried to entrap Joseph, and Joseph ended up in prison. All right, Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. Excuse me. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. 
That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, Potiphar burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. All right, Joseph is in Egypt, and um, this is a big deal. Uh, in summary, you know, he's, he's working at Potiphar's house. He's a slave there. He's a servant. He doesn't have much choice in the matter, but it's going well until Potiphar's wife tries to um, entice him to sleep with her. And he, he says, basically, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He says, no, that's not what God wants. And then she um, wrongfully accuses him. Anyway, number eight, who is Potiphar, the man to whom Pharaoh was sold? Looking at verse one. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So who is Potiphar? He's one of Pharaoh's officials. He's pretty high up in the government and, and perhaps also in the religion because Pharaoh is seen as one, as a god, um, having you know, godly attributes or they would maybe pray to him, but the Egyptians have many gods. So, but Pharaoh has a lot of influence and if Potiphar is one of his officials, Potiphar is also pretty influential. Uh, number nine, what did God do for Joseph while he was a slave in Potiphar's house? Verse two, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Uh, so number nine, God blessed Joseph's work. Number 10, because God was with him, what did Potiphar do for Joseph? Verse four, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Here we go. Potiphar put him in charge of his house, of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. Plain and simple, number 10. Potiphar put Joseph in charge of the whole house, in charge of the other servants, in charge of um, everything. And there's that note, the only thing that Potiphar withheld from him was his own wife, and Potiphar didn't concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Cool. Can just go about your business and enjoy your life. Good servant to have, right? Number 11. What did Potiphar's wife want Joseph to do? Verse 7. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. Plain and simple. Number 11. He, she wanted him to come to bed with her. And Joseph, um, he could have gotten away with it. You know, he's the guy in charge and She's complicit and Potiphar's away at work all day, but his response is what we talk about in number 12. Joseph, number 12, Joseph was not principally concerned about the possibility of getting into trouble with Potiphar. What was his principal concern? Verse 9, 
No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph knew that you know, he's not so concerned about getting in trouble with Potiphar or things coming to light, but he says, how could I sin against God? He didn't want to sin against God. All right. Number 13. Sleeping with Potiphar's wife would have been wrong. What limits does God put on sexual intimacy between people? Review the sixth commandment below. Uh, the sixth commandment in that blue box, you shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we lead a pure and decent life in words and actions and that husband and wife love and honor each other. Um, yeah, so basically, you know, God says that he wants the... He wants to reserve that special gift of sexual intimacy for marriage between one man and one woman. And uh, so number 13, looking at the sixth commandment, that sex is only for a husband and wife to share. Um, it's something that is unique and special to their relationship. And it wasn't Joseph's place to um, interject himself into that. And it wasn't Potiphar's wife's place to invite Joseph into that. Plain and simple. Uh, number 14, after Potiphar's wife grabbed him, maybe grabbed his arm, and then he shrugged his jacket off and she's left there holding his cloak. Joseph ran out of the house leaving his cloak behind. What lie did she tell to get Joseph in trouble? Verses 13 and 14, 15. When she saw that Joseph had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Um, so what lie did she tell? She said Joseph tried to hurt her, that Joseph tried to take advantage of her, whatever the uh, euphemism is. Um, but it was not a pretty accusation. And it's not a pretty thing when, it, when the actual crime happens. But in this case, um, we see the truth that Joseph was innocent and trying to, trying to serve God. <laughs> How could I do a wicked thing like that and sin against God? Not that, the, not that sex itself is wrong, but that it was wrong for Joseph to, um, to be with another man's wife. Uh, number 15, a slave assaulting the wife of his master would have been a crime punishable by death. But Potiphar didn't have Joseph killed. In fact, he put him in a prison that was under his supervision. Um, if you look at Genesis 39, verse 1, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites. Genesis chapter 40, verse 4, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. It seems that this Potiphar is the guy who's in charge of that section of the prison. And so he says, well, okay, I can't have Joseph in my house, um, but he's still a good servant, 
So if I put him in this part of the prison, the part that he is in charge of, then he could you know, maybe make use of some of Joseph's talents if Joseph is as trustworthy and as ambitious as he appears to have been, you know, pretty well organized. And, um, and that's where the, the same prison, the custody of the house of the captain and the guard, the same prison where Joseph was confined. That captain and the guard in chapter 40 is the way that Potiphar is described in chapter 39, verse 1. All right. Why do you think Potiphar might have done that? He could have said, you know, off with his head, get out of my life, sayonara, see ya. But he did it. Um, what are some possibilities? Maybe, maybe he didn't believe his wife and didn't think that Joseph was deserving of death. Perhaps. Um, but he knows he has to address this. Maybe, um, and this is, this is probably the simplest answer, he valued Joseph, and he knew that Joseph was um, trustworthy, or at least um, that Joseph was very good at managing his household, and maybe, you know, Joseph had made his home life so simple and easy, he didn't have anything to worry about, um, but Joseph can't be in his home anymore, so by putting him in the prison, Maybe Joseph goes from making Potiphar's home life easy to Potiphar's work life easy. He valued Joseph and didn't want to have him killed. Or, you know, very basically, he thought Joseph would be beneficial. And so he kept him alive. Number 16, as had been the case in Potiphar's home, even in prison, what did God do for Joseph? Verses 21 through 23. Uh, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Uh, this is probably the person below the captain of the guard. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, the exact same way that Potiphar had been described previously in the chapter. Um, because... The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So God continued to keep Joseph safe and bless the work that he did. Cool. Even though Joseph is unjustly imprisoned. Uh, read 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. You're thinking New Testament. Well, dash ahead. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 10 um, in my Bible I don't know what page it is in your Bible but my Bible is page 1135 not very helpful at all was that First Corinthians 10 verse 13 Paul writes no temptation has seized you except what is common to man and God is but God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear and when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. In verse 13, um, if you use, I'm using the NIV 1984 version. If you've got your own Bible, um, if you're using the 84, you've got to switch the and and the but um, because that, that's actually more in line with the Greek and of the flow of thought here. Uh, so no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, but 
God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So that was 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. The sixth and seventh petitions of the Lord's Prayer are in that blue box at the bottom. The sixth petition, lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? God surely tempts no one to sin, but we pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us, so that the devil, the world, and our flesh may not deceive us or lead us into false belief, despair, and other great and shameful sins. And though we are tempted by them, we pray that we may overcome and win the victory. And the seventh petition, but deliver us from evil. What does this mean? In conclusion, we pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would deliver us from every evil that threatens body and soul, property and reputation. And finally, when our last hour comes, grant us a blessed end and graciously take us from this world of sorrow to himself in heaven. So what promise does God make when we are tempted to sin? That he will protect us and he'll provide a way out. Key questions, I will entrust those to you to work through with your parent or by yourself at home. And that's the purple box at the top of the next page. Um, homework, I think last week we did weeks two and three. This week we'll do weeks three and four in your little card packet. Um, and, and if you only did one and two last week, then do two and three and start looking at four. Um, so that we get two weeks on each of those and we'll work our way through all six weeks in rotation. Uh, the key questions there and a couple of pages in your catechism, um, uh, the sixth commandment, and then what was that, the sixth and seventh petition to the Lord's Prayer. And just kind of reading through that on your own or reading through it a little, you know, a little bit maybe after supper or before bed, um, read through the, like the question and the passages and, um, and feel free to, to not, you know, just blitz through the reading to get that done, but to look at it and chew at it or discuss it a little bit with, with your parent or, you know, with your child if you're the parent or, you know, parent, feel free to preview ahead of time or review afterward. Um, and keeping in mind especially the application that we saw illustrated from today's account of Joseph in Potiphar's house and Joseph um, wrongly imprisoned and how God continued to be with him.